0: Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by my South African soulmate, the one, the only, Jeremy Goldcorn. How are you, my friend?
1: Extremely well, Kaiser. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm doing great, man. Thanks. Um, so today I'm especially happy because we're going to be talking about a China topic about which I think, Jeremy, you and I are actually in near total agreement. So um, yes, there really are such topics out there for those of you who've come to doubt. Uh, That topic, of course, is innovation in China. We are pleased to welcome Tom Saunders, who's a researcher and policy analyst at Nesta, the UK's Innovation Foundation, who happens to be in town with a delegation from the UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne. Tom is one of the co-authors of China's Absorptive State, Research, Innovation, and the Prospects for China-UK Collaboration, which is hot off the presses and downloadable from the nesta.org.uk website. We'll put a link up to that, of course, uh, which takes an in-depth look at the state of innovation in China. Tom, welcome to Seneca.
2: Great to be here, Kaiser.
0: Uh, So first, tell us a little bit about Nesta and uh, what, what it is that you do for the organization and what, what work the organization does.
2: Well, Nesta is a really fascinating organization, so I, I joined nine months ago and I'm still really learning you know, the range of things we do. So we do everything from um, advising governments on uh, innovation policy and how to improve innovation systems, right through to investing in startups and running a series of practical programs, for example, on digital education and prizes on sustainability.
0: Well, I mean, the UK is, is is quite a hotbed for innovation of late. I mean, uh, we just had a delegation come through by do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were about thirty companies represented there, and I, I have to say, I mean, I, I'm I'm not easily impressed often with with you know this app or that little gadget, uh, and uh, I I had my mind quite quite blown. It was uh, very impressive. Um, and so specifically, what, what have you been working on? You joined, am I correct, in, for specifically for this pro- project?
2: Um, that's right yes yeah. so i I joined back in february to uh, to work on on this report
0: okay and and you have a, a china background yourself you you did Chinese studies at, at Sheffield is that correct
2: yeah um and then I lived in China for a few years um worked for china dialogue um, and a few other companies doing research
0: so I guess like what 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 comes to mind first um is let's let's talk a little bit about the conventional wisdom mm-hmm. on uh, when it comes to china and innovation china you know, the knock on China typically yeah. is, is that it, it's not a particularly innovative place. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So when when I started doing research for this report, um, the type of article you would see typically would be something like, you know, China can't innovate. And here are several reasons why. Um, and, you know, so that's proof that, you know, uh, it's never going to happen in China. But um, China can only copy that kind of thing that, you know, that's, you'll see that commonly in, in kind of reputable Western media outlets
0: right i mean which is i think a a sort of an an, an odd question um or an an odd assertion i mean why should china be a a, a center for innovation after all i mean it's a it's a state that's still playing catch-up it's a Mm -hmm. country where there's an awful lot of sort of low-hanging fruit strewn about and you know natural allocation of of capital doesn't suggest that you you go chasing these you know innovative projects in a country where 50 percent of the country of the population still lives in the in the countryside and where I mm-hmm. mean um, you can invest ten million dollars in a shoe factory and make your money back much quicker than you would investing in some you know uh, nanomaterials mm-hmm. company
2: no that's exactly right I mean you know where China is now is a is a, a factor of its stage of development um, but so you, you're not getting really the novel product innovation that you get in the US but that's not to say that a lot of innovation isn't going on in China because there are you know there is lot going on you know and which is you know what we talk about in the report things around um, business models um, and processes you know that that there is Quite a lot of interesting stuff going
1: on. Can we just go back to the title of the book, China's Absorptive State? Mm-hmm. Because when I saw that, the first thing that struck me was that it seemed to be a euphemism for stealing intellectual property. <laughs> right. Is that, can you explain what it means? Because I assume that's yeah. not, not what it means. exactly what you meant by it.
2: No, I mean… Um, so you know what, what what we mean by China's absorptive state is that China is increasingly connected to sources of knowledge and innovation around the world, and it's getting better at um, recognizing those and drawing them into China, uh, recombining them, recasting them, and uh, adding value. Um, so that's that's what differentiates it really from just copying. What you know, it it, it copies something and adds value, but um, it's not you know the western media will focus on the illegitimate side of it ip theft that kind of thing but actually you know the vast majority of uh, you know China's spending so much money on buying western ip so last year it spent about 17 billion dollars and um uh yeah, acquiring ip port yeah, portfolios a, from right. for, yeah buying paying for ip royalties whereas and, and it had a deficit of 1 billion dollars um, no a deficit of 16 billion uh, which means it only made yeah. 1 billion in sales whereas the U.S. had an 80 billion surplus. So, you know, China is a huge customer for Western IP.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so let me read just from the forward to, to the study. Um, it, it describes a distinctive Chinese approach to innovation that can now be seen in many sectors. It involves not only absorbing the best ideas from around the world, but also recasting them and recombining them through re-innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, that is the result of classic R&D, but much involves what Nesta has called hidden innovation, the mm-hmm. innovation in design processes and organizational models and manufacturing and services, which isn't captured by the traditional measures of R&D. This, of course, leads me to ask, what are the the measures of R&D that you apply in order to capture this distinctly Chinese approach? What, what are some of the markers of innovation that you look at in your report if it's you know not things like patent filings or papers and peer-reviewed journals?
2: So, or... so we 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 do discuss those as well, and okay. you know China is um, kind of uh, you know number one in many fields now. So uh, it's got the world's largest patent office. Um, it's also got thirteen percent of the world's uh, output in research publications. So in, in traditional metrics, it's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we look beyond this at things like business models. So uh, a simple example is QQ. Um, it was it was a copy of uh, ICQ, a Western software. But ICQ couldn't make any money, uh, whereas QQ quickly started making money by selling clothing on the chat avatars. Sure, and that, that's a, a, a an innovation in a business model, mm-hmm. uh, which wouldn't be captured by standard metrics.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, I think people have long talked about business model innovation. Um, do you think that that China, you know, in in, in terms because it's spending so much more in in basic. Uh, R and D now. I mean, they the used to the knock on Chinese to be it's all D and no R. Mm-hmm. Um, now I, I think that that the winds have shifted and you are seeing more very basic research being done. Um, I, I suppose one of the measures you look at must be uh, R and D spending as a percentage of GDP. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where that number is these days, but, um, you know, I think the conventional wisdom had it that when you get to about 2.5% of GDP spend on R&D, you, you reach a kind of takeoff point. Is, is China anywhere near that kind of so innovation I think takeoff?
2: Last year it was 1.97%, mm-hmm. um, so still lower than developed countries, but um, it's been growing rapidly. Um, and, you know, now China is still mostly on the experimental development phase. Um, so... China spends about double what the UK spends on basic research, but about six times what we spend on development. Um, and that's that's really where China's competitive advantage is. So, uh, you know, that developmental phase at the moment.
0: Okay. Um, innovation has been a, a very major theme in uh, recent five-year plans, at least in, in, in the 12th and the 11th five-year plans. Uh, do you find a really strong correlation between the areas of technology that are marked, you know, in, say, the 11th FYP uh, and actual significant progress in those areas? In other words, is is uh, is China's stated intent to invest heavily in particular areas of technology bearing fruit?
2: I mean, I think it's safe to say that there's a, a big gap in China between um, Published policy and actual effects in the economy, Uh, and um, you know it it takes a long time for that to filter through. Uh, Chinese policymakers will keep saying again and again, "We want indigenous innovation," Uh, you know, and then they'll come out with incentives, and and it takes a while. But you know, after the twelfth Five-Year Plan, they uh, they decided on having seven strategic emerging industries, which would receive lots of investment, and uh, this has only been say like a year or so. So you know. We haven't really seen any Chinese specialisms in these areas yet. These are things but, like
0: cloud computing, yep. electric advanced vehicles, materials, advanced materials. Things like that. Yeah. Um,
2: um, so it's areas in the future where China thinks it will have a competitive advantage uh, on the world stage and which it's investing heavily in. But as of yet, there's you know, there's no major breakthroughs in Chinese cloud computing or
1: can, can I sort of just be an asshole for a little while and ask I mean isn't this whole idea of innovation that your organization does and that the Chinese government subscribes to to some extent just a bunch of like TED talk hot air it's often merely a way that NGOs and municipal governments and lobbyists and schmoozers extract money from the taxpayer to to sort of support innovation and it's kind of cool and trendy and Apple and I Google mean- do it and uh, you know, how much hot air, how much bullshit is there in this whole thing?
2: There's no doubt that innovation at the moment is a massive buzzword. It's like, you know, verbal confetti everywhere. Um, China even more so than the UK. If you search uh Xin innovation in Chinese on Google, you get about 300 million results you know you, it's, you,
0: you can't go a city block without seeing the word on a, a poster well, it's, it's one the of the the beijing
1: slogan right. uh, the the four virtues mm. in the beijing the current beijing slogan is is Chuang-Xin, right yeah mm-hmm. so
2: the 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 terminology has been massively overused and it's uh really kind of discounting the value of it because it is obviously quite important you know it's 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 about new things new processes and you know uh you know, improving people's lives by by changing the ways we do things. Uh, so so the the process of innovation is quite important, but uh, people you know maybe talk about it a, a little bit too much in China.
0: Uh, some years ago, though, I, I I heard probably the most compelling argument that I had yet heard for, for why it will be that China will actually be a, less of a, a, an IP importer than it currently is mm. uh, from a gentleman by the name of Vincent Pluvinage. Uh, who at the time headed a company called IP Value, uh, which was you know I mean some people might have called it one of these IP trolling companies, but their idea was to try to really extract value from intellectual property that that companies actually held. Uh, and his theory was 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 basically this. Let me bear with me here. I don't have charts. This is a podcast. So um, if we posit this notion that there's a kind of a, a break-even point at which uh, a Country no longer is, uh, is 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 taking in as much in licensing fees, uh, and and uh, and and other related intellectual property, uh, um, you know, payments as it's actually paying out. And Japan, of course, has crossed that threshold and only crossed it actually, you know, around the year two thousand or so. Uh, but. There's sort of an, an a if you if you graph the, the 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 sort of deficit as it approaches that that break even point, uh, you can imagine Japan approaching at a kind of a gentle curve. It took it you know from the beginnings of of, of a push in this direction from the early 1960s really, um, uh, all the way to to the year 2000. Taiwan um, followed on what Japan was doing in terms of industrial policy. Everyone you know remembers MITI you know. And added to that this uh, this approach of, of having basically the government license whole IP portfolios and then make that available to, uh, to companies within Taiwan. And that's really how the, the, the Taiwanese semiconductor industry really started to take off. Again, this beginning in the 1980s. Then Korea, South Korea, following very closely on that same pattern, but this time adding to that, actually doing quite a bit of cross-licensing with Japan, for example. I mean, that's, that's much of how companies like Samsung really got going. Uh, and all of them had sort of a steeper approach toward that break-even point. And then in, in, in Vincent Pluvinage's words, China is doing all of these things now and doing them on steroids. And in addition to that, having a massive domestic market and having uh, the the whole the whole supply chain present in country um so he he basically argued that that China's approach to that would be more rapid still that it would just be a matter of years before China would 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 reach that kind of break even point how how does that sound to you does that
2: well, I think you know you um kind of China becoming more innovative you have to understand it as as part of its economic development process so um you know in at the early 80s something like 90% of people were living on less than 2 dollars a day mm-hmm. and and i don't know what the figure is now but it's you know it's uh, poverty's been reduced massively and you have this you know huge middle class in china so um as uh, just as it's developed so fast economically it, you know um in kind of innovation outputs it's also um you know the 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 pace is just um it's just crazy really so 10 years ago china was only producing 5% of the world's research papers now
1: it's producing thirteen percent. But uh, hang on, that's not a very good measure, is it? I mean, it, it, aren't most of them plagiarised or bullshit? I mean, the, <laughs> well, I, you know, it's not like the well, the, I mean the same with the patents. They've got a gazillion patents yeah. for a bunch of crap, right? So,
2: but the the type of papers that we count in the report are, uh, are what's on the uh, Thomson Reuters. Um, web of science database so this is already the top class actually china has a lot more if you count all the papers but but we're only counting
1: these are are peer reviewed by people outside of china or i mean how do you these
2: are in journals which they've um kind of you know certified as as
0: being reliable yeah okay um so i shouldn't be so cynical (laughs) Well, well jeremy that's always the advice i'd give you Um, Back (laughs) earlier this year, American Vice President Joe Biden um, gave a speech at, uh, I believe it was at the University of Pennsylvania, in which he thundered, you cannot think different in a nation where you cannot breathe free. You cannot think different. I mean, he's playing here, of course, on Steve Jobs. Um, Mm. uh, You cannot think different in a nation where you aren't able to challenge orthodoxy because change only comes from challenging orthodoxy. when when you hear something like this, Jeremy, what 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 do you think? Do you do you do you essentially agree? Uh,
1: no, I don't. Uh, but I mean, I think you're trying to set me up to make your own argument that you you are more fluent at making than me. So I'm why don't you that. make the argument
0: about Leonardo? <laughs> it's one of many arguments I could make um, on. <laughs> well, make that one. That. Make yeah, that sure, one. Sure. No, I mean, I think that yeah, you you can point to uh, uh, any number of of, of authoritarian states uh, in in human history where nonetheless there has been inarguable uh, innovation I mean, I think you know in the court of Ludovico Sforza in 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 Milan in the late 15th century you know you had leonardo da vinci and ain't going nobody going to say he weren't innovative
1: mr. mr innovation of all time
0: yeah yeah
1: but okay but, so- no, i
0: mean do, i, I what, what do you think under underpins this then the the, the <laughs> biden idea because this this idea it 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 feels really good for americans to hear they think ah yes china is never going to catch us because you know they're still sort of languishing in in uh, their, their their internet is still censored so therefore they'll never produce an apple
1: well, I don't think it helps,
0: does it, though? I mean, I, I agree with you that you,
1: it's not a precondition. You don't need freedom to be innovative. Right. But I, I don't think it's necessary. It, nor nec- sufficient. Yeah, it, it might not be. I mean, I, I personally think that the, the thing that I, if I have to fall back on a cliche to explain the lack of creativity and innovation in China, I would tend to blame uh, Confucianism Rather than and its manifestations of uh, the pedagogical communism. system, yeah, yeah right. and I mean, you know, please, this is a, a generalization, of course, but I mean, I, I think that the the Chinese educational tendency to, um, you know, emphasize re-
0: rote learning. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, I, I would say that if you're going to look at a cultural cause or or a, a s- systemic cause in China. That
0: seems to me to be more of a problem. So yeah, let's turn this to Tom. I mean, that that you hear but, two things about China. On, on the one hand, you hear, yes, it's got this this ossified old uh, pedagogy where children are are, are never encouraged to, to challenge authority. Uh, on the other hand, you you also hear sort of the Tom Friedman's of the world um, talking about the, the 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 hundreds of thousands of engineers graduating from from China's best schools every year what what is uh, the relationship between the educational system and innovation and
1: also the the, the question posed by how we started not this sure about, about you know freedom of
0: innovation
1: yeah the, the freedom of limits on freedom of expression is that also part of the problem or not
2: i mean we for this report we interviewed a lot of people and, and no one talked really about the freedom of expression they
0: weren't free to do so
2: <laughs> possibly um but on the education question it's i mean it's really interesting so um you know China's education system is growing rapidly. So now this year I think you had about 6 or 7 million graduates and in 2020 you're going to have 10 million. This is uh, with a higher education degree.
0: It's 30%, 40% growth. And, well
2: yeah. that's going to be um, more than the, more than Europe and the US combined. So wow. uh, in terms of quantity, you know, they have the quantity, um, but the quality is, is nowhere near um, kind of western developed country levels yet. So McKinsey did a report a few years ago looking at Chinese engineering graduates, and they found that only ten percent meet global employability standards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the companies that we interviewed in China, who Western companies working in China, um, said that you know the uh, education system is what has held their staff back. But they did also say that over the last five years, you know, they they've improved massively. So it's 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 a you know constantly improving system.
0: Well, since um, none of your respondees answered to this this freedom question I I, I think I should maybe be a little more um, forthcoming about my my real beliefs on this I I think that it does limit but not in the short term I mean I think that that at the level where China is right now it is not being inhibited necessarily uh, by the fetters on academic inquiry I think you know there are some areas in which for example uh, l- looking at uh, you know human, paleo-evolutionary biology or whatever i mean you know these i uh, th- sort of dogmatic ideas about uh, man having evolved modern man having evolved separately in diff- different geographies from different e- homo erectus species i mean then you can't challenge that o- openly you know in china although privately i'm, I'm told that nobody believes it. they all believe in sort of you know, homo sapiens out of africa theory but uh I think that in in the long term, it certainly would be a hamper.
1: But in some cases, one I would argue the you know it's other forces that are in fact hampering innovation. I, I think if you look at uh, visual art, for example, fine art, painting, visual art, sculpture, installations, I think the market is responsible, more responsible for a lack of creativity amongst Chinese artists than the Communist Party is, because the market demands what you know you guys call Max struggle; it demands cliches uh, from Chinese artists. And I, I I would say that it's not really the government that is is causing that. It's, wow, it's yeah. the money. Although
2: on the other side, the market is kind of a really big spur to innovation in China, in, especially in the tech center. Sure, center, sure. Because everyone's copying each other, so you're forced to come out with new products and features yeah. and improve your services all the time. And I mean, yeah. for us, what we found one of the biggest kind of uh, inhibitors to innovation in China was the you know uh, state-owned enterprise uh, system and how much of the funding that they gobble up so for an SME in China it's really hard to get funding especially for kind of R&D um you know whereas if you're a state owned enterprise you basically have a soft line of credit from a policy bank uh and so that that is a real issue that in China which you know could could uh, if if that was if state owned enterprises were reformed that would really help
0: yeah the i mean system. this is this is an issue it's always been an issue and uh what where technology companies have traditionally turned for you know funding in excess of in, in in the millions of dollars has always been to venture capital and most of that venture capital has been still coming from the united states do you see that changing
2: well um so the <coughs> chinese government set up the uh, the torch centers uh that's right which are uh, based around all around china in high-tech parks and and so that that helps but it's it's, it's quite a small amount of capital compared to you know what's available to state-owned enterprises.
0: Right, right, right. It's 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 kind of vanishingly small, right? Yeah. And yet we're seeing maybe the, the beginnings of of ecosystems that look, at least superficially. And Tom, I want your input on this. Uh, like Silicon Valleys. I mean, what 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 does it take to create a Silicon Valley? I mean, of course, you have to have you know big research institutions i mean let's let's look at the valley itself you've got stanford and berkeley and well i mean for,
1: i mean if you look at the valley you have to start with the military really don't you i yeah, mean that, that's, the that's silicon valley is there very, because very the, because of military money that was why there's a technology industry Absolutely. In, in northern california
0: yeah
2: right. you know, i <clears> think there's only one silicon valley and we, i guess we shouldn't really be seeking to replicate it but um Zhongguancun in Beijing is a, a you know a really good example of a tech cluster. So you have something like eighty over eighty universities, um, forty of the hundred and four CAS research institutes, and that's such an amazing concentration of educational resources. And then of course out of those come loads of spin-out companies. Um, and so you've you know I think there are fourteen thousand um, enterprises in Zhongguancun, um, and so this you know massive concentration is is just really good for innovation whereas in shanghai you don't have these clusters that for some reason the government purposefully put the big universities at the opposite end of the city right. and that's had a really detrimental Negative impact effect, on, right. on um, smes and innovation
0: interesting so the, the the clustering the geography really does seem to matter i mean that's that was often something that was, was talked about uh when when people talk about Silicon valley i mean you want it's got to be, you know, a, a, a half-hour drive away, mm-hmm. or or it doesn't work, right?
2: Yeah, so people move between companies and they, they share ideas, and you know, it's really vibrant.
0: So, um, besides money, of course, and besides uh, educational and research institutions. Um, Another major. Okay, there, there are other things as well. You need to have law firms that are that that are able to structure companies, you know, startups, and to to, to do M and A deals, and to do um, to prepare them for exits on on NASDAQ or on the New York Stock Exchange. But also, um, and accounting companies as well. But you, the culture is 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 a major factor, of course. Um, you know, you have to have sort of this. Um, I think in, in China, at least now, you do have people holding up guys like Pony Ma or Jack Ma or, or my boss Robin Lee, or um, Lei Jun most recently as sort of heroes, as uh, these uh, innovators, as, as as real tech pioneers. Um, and then we we're, we are seeing second and third generation entrepreneurs, people who've been in a couple of companies. But what about uh, the other side of it? Um, in, in, in in the Valley, it's often said that one of its great strong suits is you're not stigmatized for failure. In fact, it's, it's almost sort of a, a badge of honor to have failed once, <clears throat> not just once. Right? Many times, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, um, I'm not so sure about the, the private sector in China, but in, in, in government, you know, failure is kind of, it's, it's not allowed, right? Uh, mayors and, you know, local officials, right. they, they, they won't try anything inv- innovative because, you know, they're always thinking about their next job. And so the central government's really trying to to push that out, saying it's okay to fail. But
0: they are they are aware of it then. But
2: saying. yeah, but the you know local officials kind of know tacitly it's not okay to fail. So. <laughs>
1: but I, I, that that is something that I think one has to appreciate America for is I mean uniquely uh, America does almost value failure. Uh, you can fail spectacularly on the national stage. And you know, get on Oprah and apologize for it, and then get on with your life, and, and that's you pick fine. Yourself up,
0: dust yourself. Yeah, stuff up and start and, all over. And you're again.
1: better. Actually, better. you're better for it. I mean, that is, I think, something that I think you don't have in in Europe, in Britain. I mean, South Africa, China. You know, what, what,
0: what about Britain? I mean, maybe I is is that let's the case? go there? Yeah. Because we
1: tend to compare on this show, despite me, we tend
0: to compare China with the United States. Right, and your well, your your report is really all about potential for collaboration with the UK. So let's talk yeah, so, a little bit about that.
2: So we think there are some you know um, kind of really big opportunities for for the UK and China to work together. So the UK has a, a strong focus in its research system on, on basic research, uh, and perhaps less less of a focus on development. And um, you know we recommend in the report that. Um, we, companies should look into how to commercialise their products in China by, um, you know, working with these companies who are developing specialisms in rapid uh, incremental innovation. So we were talking to BP, uh, the uh, oil company, as part of the report. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they said that in China, it's so cheap to get a uh, production line built bespoke from scratch uh, and test out ideas Um you know, and and that's really what UK companies could could you know could be doing out here in China.
0: So if BP can do it, BT can do it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are some of the other areas um, of of collaboration where you see potential?
2: Um, well, so uh, China has the kind of seven strategic emerging industries, and we have our eight great technologies um, launched by uh, David Willetts last year, and right. so the, there are lots of similarities in in these two lists, and so. Um, You know, we we think that, you know, we could work together on these areas. Um, So in the report, we recommend that uh, the UK develops a five-year plan.
1: uh, (laughs) So So you learnt from China?
2: Well, so what we say is we should develop a five-year plan for um, the UK collaboration with China. And we should align it with China's own five-year plan plan to take into account new things that come out in there.
1: Uh, that's good. I believe in five-year plans. My own business is run on five-year plans. Great. I think that's great. I support. <laughs> <But> you, <know laughs> you, you have to learn from the Chinese Communist Party what you can learn from them. <laughs> and there's a lot. And that's one of them. <laughs> anyway, sorry, do carry on.
2: And so, we, you know, we also need to get better at just learning what's happening in China, because, you know, uh, the market's changing so quickly. There's so much you know, new and interesting things coming out that the UK really needs to be here on the ground looking at what's happening
0: Jeremy would you um, do you recognize any innovative products that you've seen come out of of, of China let's say in 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 the ele- consumer electronics space or in uh the internet or
1: well i think um that it's quite difficult to find what maybe the trendy word for it is paradigm shifting things uh, in China, yeah, paradigm shift. You know, some time ago, paradigm so no shifting. The gunpowder, say. the the compasses, of the gunpowder, the iPhones. Uh, you don't find so much in, <laughs> in, in contemporary China, China. China. The great inventions of the world: <laughs> um, gunpowder, uh, the compass, but, and the iPhone. Uh, you know, whether you call it uh, you know micro innovation or retroactive, absorptive, blah blah. Um, it's very clear that uh, Chinese companies are really good at taking a basic business and then perfecting it to work really well in China. And that involves things that you could describe as innovative or creative, but, you know, end up in something, a product or a service being better than it used to be. And I think you see a lot of that. I mean... Sina uh, Weibo. Sina Weibo. Um, it waste in, uh you know. Of, uh, I'll resist the temptation to, to some plug Baidu some Baidu products. I know there are Baidu products. There's taxi hailing uh, apps that I think work better than Uber, and are, you know, d- generally better for the human race than a product like Uber.
0: I think. Uh, I mean, although Uber is pretty good, uh, Uber served me well when I was in Paris last. It was very good. Good, excellent. Um, so I,
1: I, I think you do actually see things that can be described as innovative in china but you often have to qualify
0: that it does depend on what you mean by the word yeah i think that that, that chinese companies tend to innovate closer to the ground i think they're they're good at identifying sort of near term uh, where, where the trend lines are going near term they're they 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 are they understand their consumers very very well if they didn't they wouldn't have you know the crap out of their foreign competitors which arguably had generally happens (laughs) in every industry
2: yeah yeah. Yeah, so we think kind of user-led or demand-led innovation is is a really interesting concept in china that's very much our paradigm yeah for example with xiaomi so um you know they work really closely with their users and update their mu operating system every week um you know it's just you wouldn't get that in the uk with your iphone
0: i i I have a a, in a 2a it's it's really remarkable i i am mm. very very impressed with it i'm actually thinking about switching over to to android because i've i've been playing around i i mean I'm, I'm letting my my 7 year old son use it right now but uh it's make, it's, make, it's, make, make him he all the bugs android, exactly exactly <laughs> he probably knows the thing much much better than than i
1: but I mean, you know, I think at some point I, I one also should say that it's a, it does get a bit tiresome the the sort of cliche of the the chinese person that is unable to think laterally or creatively or innovatively. Um you know, despite the fact that I moan so much about this place, I I, I do think that, that that's one of the
0: stereotypes about China that is really just that. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the very outset of the show, we're in full agreement with that. I'm, I'm, I'm. I come down. Maybe regular listeners won't be surprised to hear. Um, very much in, in this, the middle of this, I, I really can't stand breathlessness o- o- about innovation in China. I mean, the, I'll, I'll, the mustachioed one. Um, that sort of of talk about you know China's going to eat our lunch. It's just this. It's going to be this hotbed of innovation.
1: Five gazillion engineering graduates and blah blah right, blah. Right, right. Yeah, I but, know, but nor, nor,
0: nor can I stand the 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 sort of knee jerk naysayers. They're all robo- right. robotic drones, right? Yeah, but it's just
2: people looking for a headline, isn't it? You know, yeah, just, it really as it so often
0: is. That. Right. Um, I mean, I I think that one of the areas where I think China is going to be uh, quite innovative is is, and, and I've, I've said this again, and I'm 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 not going to be just you know wearing my Baidu hat here and and say, when I say this, but uh, technology companies in China really serve two markets. They serve uh, a very developed world market, you know, very, very much on par with any OECD country in the the big coastal cities, and they serve. Uh, a lower part of the pyramid market in the hinterland provinces and in the lower tier cities. It's the rest of the world. And so they, I think they've become very adept at identifying products, services technologies that are suitable for that lower part of the tier. And uh, I think that what people often forget is that uh, mm-hmm. that requires quite a bit of innovation. To serve people who are not tech savvy, uh, mm-hmm. those users actually expect more from technology they expect technology to be able to deliver more think of you know a child who having played with an ipad or an iphone now thinks that framed pictures can be expanded with their fingers or you can swipe them i mean intuitive interfaces uh things like voice recognition image activation things like that these are really advanced technologies that require pretty highly sophisticated levels of machine learning and that's what a lot of these companies i think are 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 doing
2: yeah another really interesting is thing is to see these countries going, companies going global. So, you know, maybe five years ago, you wouldn't really know any Chinese companies in the UK. Whereas now, Names like Huawei, you know. Well, no, uh, I mean, like really, though, I mean, Huawei
0: is to... in the no- news notoriously. I mean, maybe in, in in the UK because they killed Marconi essentially, and because they won that B- BT twenty one CN. But they also have, CN- you can also buy counter. Huawei
2: handsets in the UK now, right?
0: Okay, but uh, not as a, yet, not but... not a big consumer brand though. Still, right? It's still a big B two B brand.
2: Right? Not yet, but it's it's on the cusp of you know.
0: But but no, but it's it's fair. I mean, Jeremy, if I would ask you twenty years ago, name me. I mean, you know, you were still living in South Africa. Uh, name me five Japanese electronics manufacturers or companies. You you could have easily not r- rattled them off, you know, Hitachi and Toshiba and Sony and Panasonic. I,
1: I would have. And many of my country persons may not even actually have known they were Japanese, but they would have known the brands, the, the, the which brands, is but, in some ways even better.
0: What, 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 what about that? I mean, why has China been so inept at branding internationally?
2: Well, I mean, I think if, you know, if you have a, a market of a billion consumers, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, hard to look beyond that Um, and I guess also if your you know products are based on a platform of western technology you know you really have to produce something much better if if you're going to take that back to them right Um, but but now you know you're getting um, WeChat uh, which is being marketed uh, in Europe very Um, yeah even though you have WhatsApp already so you know they're taking a punt on that
0: good 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 I, I'm a I'm, I'm big fan. I think the product's terrific. I
1: mean, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's, I think they might do okay in Europe. I,
1: I find it difficult
0: to believe that they could do okay in the United States. You think that there'll be sort of um, you know, there'll be this sort of fear of them as a Chinese tech provider? W- well, the lobbyists will ensure that there's a fear of them. I think mm-hmm. yeah. um,
2: that's the thing. So you were talking earlier about what what uh, what's different with the UK. So a lot of the time, when you talk about China in, in the international news media, it's, it's from a US perspective which is extremely hawkish, um, particularly on uh, ideas of IP theft and risk. Uh, whereas in the UK, the, the debate is, is much less. Uh, you know, it's, um, we you know, welcome companies like Huawei, you know, and um, I think for UK policymakers, uh, you know, they need to understand that uh, the UK isn't the US, so we, we don't really need to have that, that level of hawkishness.
0: <laughs> Very good. That's that's encouraging. <laughs> well, I'm going to mention that to my boss. Okay, um, uh, great. I think we're we, we're um, ready to move on to. Unless Jeremy, you've got one more question for Tom?
1: No, I think we're innovated out of here. Okay, let's
0: yeah. let's. let's uh, thanks, thanks so much. Um, and I, I trust that you've got something to recommend for our, for our listeners as we move into this next section of the show.
2: Um, sure. Yes, I read an article today by um, David Pilling. Uh, of on, the FT, right? yeah, and um, it's about um, he talks about uh, China's in addiction to investment and at how actually that might have possibly been overblown. So the data, uh, you know, shows that maybe consumption has been a lot bigger than than we previously thought. And so then there's the question of what does that mean for China going forward?
0: Does that mean that, that the the rebalancing is actually working? That,
2: possibly or or maybe it was just always uh better than um, y- you know than we originally thought it's it's always hard to know with chinese data
0: it'd be interesting to see what 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 michael pettis has to say in response to that very good okay so that's uh david pilling and do you happen to have the, the title of the op-ed handy
2: um i do uh, um yeah the the article's called china may be in much better shape than it looks
0: oh ah, okay very good I will make sure to read that. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, and I'm sure that there will be a lot of interesting responses to it. What about you, Jeremy? What do you have for us this week?
1: I'd like to recommend the New York Times' new China blog,
0: Sinosphere. Did you know that there was a discussion at the New York Times Bureau about taking our name, about taking Seneca. Really? About the calling f- it Seneca. Well, f- new York Times Bureau. Yeah, exactly. But well, congratulations
1: well, 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 to uh, Austin Ramsey. I think he's in charge of it, and Phil Pan, and Ansfield and Ian Johnson, Ed Wong, That's Dee Dee, a great Kirsten piece Talo, today by Jane Amy Chim. Chris Buckley, and other people waiting for their visas in purgatory. <laughs> congratulations to all of you. Really great new
0: blog, and I hope you can continue the pace. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm going to recommend something completely strange um, that uh, Simon Montlake, who's uh, the writer here for Forbes, who filled Gotti Epstein's outsized footwear, um, he's uh, sent me a link today for a very funny site called Ikea or Death. And I'm going to make you guys play Ikea or Death here really quickly. The the, the, the idea is very simple. Uh, I'm going to give you the name... Of um, Some some weird Scandinavian word, and I'm going to mispronounce it badly, of course. And you have to tell me, do you think it's an IKEA product or a black metal band? (laughs) Okay, so we begin. ABSU, A-B-S-U. Jeremy, IKEA or death? IKEA. Let's push IKEA. Wrong. Metal band. (laughs) ABSU is an extreme metal band from Texas that plays mythological occult metal. Next. Okay, Kraft, C-R-A-F-T. Definitely Ikea. Definitely Ikea.
2: What? Wrong. <laughs>
0: metal band, Tom, I'm sorry. Kraft are a Swedish black metal band whose lyrics focus on misanthropy, destruction, hatred, nihilism, chaos, and death. So if you guessed end table, you were totally wrong. Next, Vitsjö.
1: <laughs> Come on, we got to have... Okay. Ikea <laughs> okay Ikea. 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 Ikea correct okay that's, that's right 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 it's <laughs> some damn well.
0: okay how about Acrococa
2: death that's right Acrococa <laughs> is an
0: English progressive blackened death metal band known for their satanic and sexual lyrics okay enough of that there's 20 questions and all I in spite of my my love for all things satanic and metallic I I um I scored only 14. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's hail Satan, bad, and, and, guys. And, and I'm embarrassed for you, <laughs> really. guys. Yeah. Thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Well, um, thanks, it was it. great to have you, Jeremy. We'll, we we got a good show for next week, right?
1: We do indeed. We have a great
0: guest. Uh, are you Mind gonna any, any spoilers? Well, it's Linda Javen. Yeah, the luscious Linda Javen. Uh, and we're going to be talking about translation. And we're also, do we have Alice lined up? We have Alice. Yeah. Alice okay. Leo. Alice Leo, Leo, the lovely Alice Leo. Okay. Luscious and lovely both will be here. And uh, we, and finally, some women on the podcast, Jeremy. We've been doing very, very poorly on that front. We have, and people have complained. Yeah. And and sorry, Joe. We'll, 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 we'll fix that. Okay. Uh, see you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>